Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar Johnson. Today, we're going to be doing a deep dive on the third place team in the Western Conference and also the third place team in the NBA, the Houston Rockets. I'm here with Jordan Christmas. And Jordan, how are you doing today? Not too bad. Been watching the tournament. I'm a Sixer fan. So the last four years, I've been invested in March Madness, trying to see what type of prospects are going to be drafted, but I'm doing good. Awesome. So let's jump right in here and start with some of the offseason moves for the Rockets. The biggest acquisition of their offseason was Eric Gordon. Gordon, after some disappointing and injury-plagued years in New Orleans following his breakout start to his career with the Clippers, has once again found his way and has been an incredibly valuable piece for this Rockets team. At the moment, before the Rockets' Saturday night game, he is third in the NBA in three-pointers made. He set the record for three-pointers made in a season off the bench a while ago. And on December 17th, he actually led the league in total three-pointers made. So he's been a huge piece to this Houston offense and is one of the leading candidates for sixth man of the year, which we'll get to later. But what are your thoughts on what we've seen from Eric Gordon in a Rockets uniform? I have clearly liked what I've seen from Eric Gordon. I thought it was a risky offseason move, obviously given his injury history, as you mentioned before, but I thought the upside outweighed the risk. Um, he's been relatively healthy. He's by far, <laughs> I've been, I was looking up his stats earlier. This is by far the most amount of three-point attempts he's averaged in his career per game. He is averaging 9.1 three-point attempts per game, and his previous career high was six and a half, and it's, he's had a career high in makes at 3.4 makes per game. He's been a revelation. Um, I like him in the bench role. He's averaging 16 and a half points per game and he's shooting the three ball at a good clip given the amount of attempts he's had and he's also kind of serves as that secondary ball handler can attack off a closeout I have been really impressed with Gordon the Rockets offseason acquisition moves I've liked given Ryan Anderson who we're going to be talking about also Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon were pieces that I thought would fit around James Harden given their shooting ability and that they don't really need the ball in their hands you lose Dwight Howard, obviously, the previous season. And then you gain two guys who don't need the ball in their hands, can stretch the floor, and can secondary playmake a little bit. I've liked what I've seen from Eric Gordon so far. It was a great signing for the Rockets. My friend thought that I was crazy when we were talking about the Rockets before the start of the season, that I thought Eric Gordon could be a nice pickup. But, and I understood why, you know, given his injury history. But so far, he's been relatively healthy. I know he's missed a few games here and there so far this year, but I've liked what I've seen from Eric Gordon. One of the things I really like about Gordon on this Rockets team is that he fits well with both Patrick Beverly and James Harden. So he can be useful coming off the bench, being that secondary creator, as you discussed, but he can also fit in well with the starting lineup. He can even play in some really interesting units, I think, with Gordon, Beverly, and Harden on the floor. Right. And those lineups can be disastrous on defense, but on the offensive end, it's just really hard to stop all three of those guys beyond the arc at once. Speaking of beyond the arc, let's move on to the other big acquisition of the Rockets offseason, Ryan Anderson. A lot of people gave Daryl Morey and the Rockets flack for signing Anderson to a four-year, $80 million contract, given his injury history and his struggles on the defensive end. But I think the combination of Gordon and Anderson being very healthy for most of the season, first of all, says some worrisome things about the Pelicans medical staff, but also speaks to the 
revitalizing force that James Harden can be for three-point shooters. So Anderson, his field goal percentage overall is quite low, but those numbers really sort of obfuscate what he actually does on the offensive end. His true shooting percentage is 57.7, which is really solid. And the main reason that his field goal percentage is so low is that he takes almost 65% of his shots from behind the three-point line, and he's hitting them at a 40% clip, which is excellent for any player, but really, really great for a power forward. And his ability to space the floor really helps this Rockets offense to both generate good looks for himself, but also free up the floor for Harden and others to drive to the basket. Yeah, and it's not just, you know, the shooting percentage and the three-point attempts. It's the distance and how much he actually spaces the floor. I looked this up and real quickly before I continue on with my point with Anderson, this isn't just with Anderson, it's the entire Rockets team. They attempt 40.6 threes per game and over half of them are from between 25 to 29 feet. And first of all, that's just insane that they, whenever I watch Rocket games, they just launch from anywhere. But a lot of it, Ryan Anderson, to really shoot that high of a percentage on that many attempts from that deep and that's your power forward, that just does so much for your offense. I mean, you can run high pick and roll with James Harden and Ryan Anderson popping out, or you can run spread pick and roll with Clint Capella, rather be Clint Capella, Nene, or even Montrez Harrell whenever he plays spot minutes and Anderson is on the other side of the floor. James Harden can just do one of his signature, it's become a signature pass this year where he just flicks it across half court before he even initiates action on a pick and roll with one of his centers. And Anderson has just been, we all knew the reason why Daryl Morey wanted to sign Ryan Anderson, but of course, you know, like like you mentioned, it was the contract and his health history that's been the main concern. But I mean, it's just the nature of sports. You got to overpay for what you want to get. And Ryan Anderson has been the perfect fit next to James Harden. They try to do a similar thing with Chris Bosh once he started hitting threes consistently in Miami. Remember, the Rockets offered Bosh that four-year $70 million contract, and they were so close to signing him, but Bosh reneged his decision and decided to stay with Miami. Um, this is kind of a similar thing here. They wanted to stretch power forward to add to their philosophy, which is we're just going to shoot threes, we're going to drive to the basket, and we're going to get to the free throw line. And Anderson has been perfect for that. And also, he rebounds a little bit. He's also kind of, they don't do it as much, obviously, because they don't shoot from mid-range or anything like that, but they can post him up a little bit whenever guards switch, They have whenever Anderson has a guard on him. You can also kind of throw him the ball down there a little bit so he can just shoot over the top. Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon have been revelations for the Rockets this year, and it's just interesting to just watch how the evolution of the game is going and how the Rockets are just taking the very of the natural variance of the three-point shot to just <laughs> an extreme level, really. I mean, they're by far going to blow the three-point attempt record out of the water that the Rockets previously set in 2014-15 when they attempted almost the 33 threes per game. They're by far going to crush that record. It's really incredible. The difference between Bosch and Anderson is that Bosch is an elite, elite defensive player when he's healthy, right? and Anderson is a negative on that end of the floor. But moving on, from Anderson to someone who is definitely not a negative on the defensive end of the floor. They signed Nene to the room exception this offseason, and the thing about Nene is that he is not ever healthy enough to stay on the floor for significant minutes and a significant number of games, but his 
relatively smaller role on the Rockets as mostly a backup to Clint Capella and Ryan Anderson. He's only started seven of his 57 games this season. He's incredibly efficient on the offensive end. He's shooting 62% from the floor. And on the defensive end, he has the third best defensive box plus minus on the team behind Patrick Beverly and somehow James Harden. Harden's number is almost certainly skewed by playing with the solid defenders in the starting lineup. Right. Because he's not exactly the greatest defender himself. But Nene has been a real boost to this team just as a backup big who can effectively fill the same role that Clint Capella does, except with a little more defensive experience and defensive IQ. So I've been really surprised by how useful Nene has been for the Rockets this season. And I think if you were to go back to last offseason and decide which of Zaza Pachulia or Nene would be more useful to their team, most people would pick Pachulia, but I think Nene has been a lot more effective than Pachulia has this season. That also kind of depends on how the Warriors would have used him. Nene is an underrated passer, but I think Zaza is just a little bit better. But every other facet of the game, I agree with you. Nene has been a solid backup. I've always liked him as a player all the way back to his uh, Denver Nugget days. But he, like you said, and it's really been the theme with a lot of the Rockets offseason acquisitions is their health history. And can these guys actually stay on the court? But with Nene coming off the bench, there's less stress on his legs. He's a savvy veteran. He sets solid screens. He knows how to position himself on defense. Um, He's also a brick on the low block defensively as well. And he's also someone who can add a little bit of variance to the Rockets offense. You could kind of throw the ball to him a little bit on the block. He can shoot the mid-ranger. He's okay at that also. But really just a solid backup big to a really nice young athletic big, Quinn Capella. The Rockets just have a lot of depth. Uh, I know there were some whispers that they were interested in Andrew Bogut and uh, whether they wanted him or trade for Lou Williams, depending on how much room they had on their roster. Um, I kind of think that with the three bigs that they have right now, Capella, Nene, and then even Montrez Harrell, that, that they're fine there. And the Lou Williams trade was probably the better route to go because they have just three solid bigs and bigs that will set screens for James Harden, who has the ball in his hands 95% of the time and has reached a higher plane of passing that while I thought he was a he I already thought he was a great passer I just did not see this and part of it is the high screening role that they run all the time that's their bread and butter and Nene is a brick when it comes to setting screens he was a nice solid pickup for the Rockets so speaking of those three solid big men let's move on to the season overview and start with looking at their big man rotation so Clint Capella has been the starter for much of the season but he missed a few games due to injury and Montrezl Harrell and Nene sort of split the starting role with Capella out. Montrez Harrell has a true shooting percentage of 67% this season, which is almost unbelievably high. But Capella's also been really, really efficient. His true shooting is 63.3%, and Nene is right up there as well in the 60% range. So the role for those Rockets big men that I think has really opened up their offense this season is these guys know that the only way that they're going to score is running to the rim on those high pick and rolls or crashing the glass and getting offensive rebounds. And when your offense isn't clogged up on occasion with throwing the ball to Dwight Howard in the post, and when your big men don't complain about not getting enough post touches and about how they don't want to run pick and rolls, you tend to have a pretty 
effective offense, and particularly you can make these big men who can't really shoot very well. None of them really has a jumper, with the exception of Nene, who has a decent mid-range jumper at times. The fact that all three of these guys have been so incredibly efficient, I think just speaks to how effective Mike D'Antoni's pick-and-roll offense can be, but also how effective James Harden can be when the offensive pieces around him fit with his game rather than being some sort of your turn, my turn thing that occasionally happened last season with Harden and Dwight Howard. Right. And with Capella, I mean, he always had the outline of today's uh, prototypical NBA big man. You know, he's long, he's athletic, he can run the floor, he can catch lobs off of the high screen and roll. And Capella was a player that Dan Tony highlighted before the season started in training camp. It was like, watch out for Clint Capella. He's going to be a key factor for us. And it's true. I mean, there's been so many games this year where Clint Capella will set its pick on the high screen and roll and James Harden will snake his way with his usual crafty leftiness, which as a fellow lefty, I always love watching guys like Ginobili, Harden, all those guys who are just super crafty, snake his way through the pick and roll and then he'll just throw it up because he gets so much attention anyway. He'll just throw it up near the rim and Clint Capella will get it. It's such an effective play and they all, Nene, Harrell, and Capella, they all provide different things. Um, Harrell, his rebounding could be a lot better actually, but he still provides energy and the ridiculous efficiency that he has also. He's just uber athletic. Clint Capella, we touched on him already. Nene, we touched on him a little bit too. He's it's the savvy veteran, can add a little bit of a monkey wrench, I guess, in the Rockets' offensive system. He can do some different things. He's the best passer, obviously, out of all those five big men, so they utilize that a little bit as well. But um, I really liked what I've seen from Clint Capella this year. I mean, a few years ago, when they were in the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors, and a lot of people forget how close that series actually was, despite the Warriors winning in five games, Capella really showed me the outlines of what he could be. I mean, he sw- he's able to switch out on the perimeter. Um, he switched out onto Steph Curry a few times, and of course, nobody could stop Steph Curry. He hit a lot of jumpers in his face, but Capella stayed with them. And I always thought Capella, where he was raw back then, you could see the outlines of a player in today's NBA, you know, cut from the same cloth of like Nerland's Noel and Rashawn Holmes, those type of guys where they don't need the ball in their hands. And Capella's just happy to finally get his minutes. And obviously, like you said, the Dwight Howard factor was huge last year. And probably the reason why James Harden didn't make an All-NBA team was because of those chemistry issues. But we all know now this is James Harden's team. The big men know their roles. And it's all just clicked so efficiently for the Rockets. So speaking about the roles for those big men, one of my biggest questions for this Rockets team going into the playoffs is which of these three guys is going to get major minutes? Because Harrell has been absurdly efficient on offense, and he is a solid rebounder, but Capella and Nene are also solid rebounders, and both of them are better defenders than Harrell, mainly because Harrell is way undersized at center and honestly slightly undersized at power forward as well. Right. So do you think Harrell is going to get major minutes for the Rockets in the postseason, or do you think they will trim down their rotations to the point where it's mostly 
just Capella and Nene once they hit the postseason. Honestly, I think Harrell is probably going to be the odd man out. And in the playoffs, we all know rotations get tighter. And I honestly think while Capella will start for the Rockets in the playoffs, I think you're going to see a quite a bit of games where D'Antoni may want to opt to close the game with Nene. Just have somebody that's experienced, that's been in that, that's been in that rabbit hole of being in a grueling seven game series. Nene is also, well, it's relative, but Nene is also a more <laughs> reliable uh, free throw shooter than Capella as well. So D'Antoni might opt to close with Nene for a lot of the playoff games, but I definitely see Montrez Harrell as the odd man out in that center rotation. So really quickly before we move on to the wing and guard rotations, Sam Decker has played a decent number of stretch four-ish minutes behind Ryan Anderson. Decker's actually listed as a small forward, but according to basketball reference, he spends about 85% of his time on the floor as a small ball four. And Decker is not as good of a three-point shooter as Ryan Anderson, but then again, very few people are. However, Decker is far more athletic than Anderson, and while he is sort of prone to slip-ups on the defensive end, he is a lot better on that end than Anderson is. So going forward, do you think Decker is also going to be out of the playoff rotation? Because one thing that I thought might be interesting for the Rockets to try is have Montrez Harrell fill out some of those minutes at power forward with one of the other big men. Because while that will tend to clog up the Rockets a little bit, it does allow you to get some athleticism in the front court with Harrell out there at the four. You could also maybe try Decker at the four and Harrell at the five if you really want to get some speed on the defensive and offensive end, I guess, from their big men. But what are your thoughts on Decker so far this year and sort of how he pairs with Ryan Anderson in the front court. I could see the Harrell at center and Decker at four lineup in the playoffs. That's probably more probable. I don't see Harrell playing the four just because that four is so important for the spacing on the weak side for James Harden to flick at those cross-court passes that he always does to an open three-point shooter. But I've been impressed with Decker this year. He's definitely had his moments. It's really weird. He was shooting the three ball well to start off the season, but he's shooting 56% from the free throw line, which it always puzzles me when when there's uh, three-point shooters who <laughs> don't shoot well from the foul line. But like you said, he's been solid. He's 6'9", can handle the ball a little bit. He is athletic enough. I've been impressed with Decker in his role this year. I don't know how much D'Antoni will trust him in the playoffs, but I still think he'll get some He'll get some run just because him and Anderson can be uh, interchangeable at the four spot. But I definitely see, I could definitely see a more of a Harrell at the five and Decker at the four, like you said, just to gain a little bit of speed, but I don't see Harrell at the power forward. All right, moving on to the wing and guard rotation. The biggest piece in that wing and guard rotation, besides obviously James Harden, has been Patrick Beverly. So the Rockets are 7-5 and five this season in games where Beverly has not played, and they are 40-17 and 17 as of when we're recording this on Saturday afternoon with Beverly on the floor. And I think the biggest benefit to Beverly is that he's almost like a laboratory-designed perfect fit alongside James Harden because he's a point guard that does not really need the ball in his hands, but can defend point guards on the other end to allow Harden to match up with guys closer to his 6'5 frame in terms of size. Beverly can also guard bigger players on the defensive end for teams that have better shooting guards than 
point guards. So he allows the Rockets to hide Harden on the defensive end really effectively. He's currently second among point guards in the league in defensive real plus minus. Decently far ahead of Ricky Rubio, but way behind Chris Paul, who is just leading the league by a ridiculous margin. Well, of course. (laughs) But the thing about Beverly is that he does everything that the Rockets don't get from James Harden, which admittedly isn't all that much because James Harden does basically everything for this team on the offensive end. But what are your thoughts on Patrick Beverly's play this season? So I know the stats might not bear it out, but I think this is probably Patrick Beverly's best year of his career. He got the reputation as a good defender like a few years ago, but I thought it was more just of the fact that he likes to be a pest and pick people up full court, but he has really turned into a complete defender going back to last season and this year. Him missing the first 12 games of the season kind of affected Harden's on and off court numbers ridiculously and you want, and the reason is because Patrick Beverly, like you said, is he's the perfect complement to James Harden. He's also their secondary playmaker. He's second on the team in assists. He's also their third best rebounder and he just does all the dirty work and he's still by the way that pesk that I mean he's just one of those dudes at the at the park you just don't want to play against because he's just up in you all the time. He's really been the perfect complement next to Harden and it's also it also stabilized the Rockets team when he came back. It moved Eric Gordon back to the bench where we all thought he would be and I've just really been I've really liked watching Patrick Beverly this year. I think he's having a career year. Moving on from Beverly to the other important cards in this rotation, and obviously we will wait to discuss James Harden in his own separate section because he's worthy of that. I would hope so. (laughs) But Eric Gordon was in my mind anyway, the obvious choice for sixth man of the year for most of the season. And then right at the trade deadline, the Rockets traded for the guy who was right behind him in that race in Lou Williams. So I think the interesting question with the other guards in this rotation besides Beverly and Harden, is Lou Williams the sixth man of the year or is Eric Gordon the sixth man of the year? And Lou Williams has had a statistically remarkable season. He has one of the highest PERs of any shooting guard, Ben or starting. He's averaging 18 points a game, which is ahead of Eric Gordon. But Williams has actually not been as effective as Eric Gordon while they've both been on the Rockets. Williams is only scoring 15 and a half points per game in Houston. He's shooting 39% from the floor, but 40% from deep. So he's really been missing a lot of those looks inside the arc. I think that Eric Gordon is still the leader for six man of the year just because Lou Williams put up most of his stats on a Lakers team that really didn't have anyone else besides him who could score. And Gordon has spent the entire year being this incredible force for the Rockets off the bench and alongside Harden in crunch time minutes. So I would go with Gordon for sixth man of the year. But what are your thoughts on Gordon versus Williams for that? I totally agree with you. By the time January, late January hit, I kind of already had Gordon locked in as my sixth man of the year. As much as I love Lou Williams, obviously Sixer connection, the Sixers drafted him. I love his game as a scorer, but like you said, Lou Williams was putting up, well, pretty good and relatively efficient numbers on a really bad Lakers team. We kind of tend to give sixth man of the year to people who score the most off the bench, and I don't know why, but we rarely measure impact and how much that contributes to winning also, which I is another conversation for another day, but I think advanced stats is kind of 
kind of taken the venom out of that factor a little bit, um, if you get what I'm saying. But um, Eric Gordon, he like we rattled off his stats earlier, he's having a career year win three-point shooting. He's been one of the Rockets' most important players on the team, and he's helped the Rockets get a regular season record that, quite frankly, as high as I was on the Rockets before the season started, he's helped them achieve a regular season record so far that I did not expect. So I agree with you. You have to go with Gordon as sixth man of the year, but Lou Williams was se- would have been second on my list. Well, still is second on my list. It's crazy. That- <laughs> By the way, it's crazy that the Rockets have two players coming off their bench that are legit sixth man of the year candidates. It's, it's just ridiculous. All right. Really quickly before we move on to the season review, I just wanted to talk about Trevor Ariza. On offense, he's been relatively average. He hasn't been the three-point sniper that he has been occasionally in the past. It's not a contract year, that's why. (laughs) That's one way of looking at it. His true shooting percentage is about average at 55.1%, but on the defensive end, he has been almost elite level. He's 12th among small forwards in the league in defensive real plus minus at 1.59, and Ariza allows the Rockets to put some above average defenders in that starting lineup alongside Harden and Ryan Anderson. And Ariza is big enough to cover some fours in a pinch. He can also switch on to wing scores if they're too big for Beverly to defend, but too good for Harden to attempt to defend. (laughs) What are your thoughts on Ariza other than that he's not playing his best basketball because he's not in line for a payday in the (laughs) offseason? Um, well, I mean, the offense is negligible, right? Because the Rockets have plenty, plenty of scoring options, including one James Harden. But like you said, his defensive versatility has really been key for the Rockets this year. I'm, the Rockets obviously do, do not have the best uh, team defense. But when you have Capella, Beverly, and Ariza in your starting lineup, that's 60% of your starting lineup that is a good at defense. And like you said, can give you some flexibility in terms of where to hide Harden. Harden. And by the way, I think Harden personally, and it's relative because he's always been known as a uh, terrible defender, except for his uh, runner-up MVP year. I thought he was average, but I think he's been better this year. He's not a complete and utter negative, but you still have to hide him on players and better wing players that Beverly is too small to defend, but that's where Ariza provides the flexibility. Um, He's also a dec- an average three-point shooter. He's shooting 35% from three, and he, of course, has no problem chucking it up, even despite even if a defender is in his face. But yeah, Ariza has been a really good starter for the Rockets this year, especially on the defensive end. And at times, like you said, he could play four in a pinch, especially when D'Antoni decides to go extra small and does the three guard lineups. And of course, he has all kinds of combinations he can go to. But Ariza has been solid for the Rockets this year. But unfortunately, like I mentioned earlier, it's not a contract year. So he's not, you know, shooting 500% from three and all the all the other ridiculous offensive numbers he typically puts up in contract years. So moving on to a review of the season as a whole for the Rockets, they are solidly in third place in the Western Conference at 47 and 22. They have already locked up a playoff spot. They are currently two games in the win column ahead of Cleveland for third best record in the league. In terms of three-point shooting, which you brought up earlier, they have already hit a thousand three-pointers this season. Oh, man. They're at 1,014 prior to their Saturday night game. And their defense, partially, or I guess mostly because... 
three-fifths of their starting lineup is really good on the defensive end. They're actually currently tied for 13th in the league in terms of defensive rating per NBA.com. They are second in points per game. They are second in assists per game. And their offensive rating of 112.3 points per 100 possessions is also second in the league. But saying that they're second in the league in all of these offensive statistics is, in my mind, incredibly misleading because they just happen to have the bad luck of playing in the same league as a historically good offense in the Golden State Warriors. So just for a little bit of background on that 112.3 offensive rating, they are second in the league behind the Golden State Warriors in terms of offensive rating. The Warriors at the moment have an offensive rating of 112.7, but if you exclude the Warriors offense from this year and the Warriors offense from last year, you have to go back to the 2000 2009-2010 Phoenix Suns to find a single team with a better offensive rating than this season's Houston Rockets. So I think the Rockets are being massively underrated on the offensive end just because they're coming in second in a lot of these statistics, but that fails to account for the fact that being this close to this ridiculous Warriors offense is a historic feat in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, if you're, I guess it's just time to blow it all up then. I mean, they're behind the war. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, the Rockets offense and, you know, I listened to a Daryl Morey podcast on when he was on Zach Lowe's podcast and basically it's all about variance with this, right? Um, three is worth more than two points and basically with the Lou Williams move, their offense, we're just, they're hoping if they face the Warriors in the playoffs that they're hoping that they just get four games where they make 23s and they have a lot of guys who can put it up and if you look at the Rockets uh, offensive shot shot chart for the season <laughs> it's their heat map it's really incredible it's all red yellowish red around the three-point line and almost completely empty and then some blue spots here and there which means it's cold around the mid-ranger and then of course the paint is just super red uh the rockets really have taken the f- philosophy of three-pointers layups and free throws to the extreme but also it's all because they have the maestro the puppet master behind the madness well mike dan Tony, but then James Harden has just been uber efficient with his numbers and the Rockets offense has just been super fun to watch and I know th- the aesthetics of chucking a lot of threes isn't does might not be aesthetically pleasing to some fans but I find it fascinating I mean they can be in a lot of games with a lot of good teams and it's been showing this year I mean they're able to keep up with the Warriors and teams like the Spurs they've had a bunch of big wins against good teams and it's because their offense has just been really clicking and there's a method behind the madness and the Rockets are sticking to it and that's what I like about this they're really sticking with their convictions on their offensive philosophies also so let's move on to the most recent article on the Rockets section of hashtag basketball.com and that article will lead us right into something that I've been very impatiently waiting to discuss this entire podcast (laughs) which is James Harden's case for the MVP now in my opinion there are four players who who could be selected as the 
MVP, and I would have no problem with it. Totally agree. If you pick James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard, or LeBron James, I would have no problem with it. I think all four of those guys are very deserving MVP candidates. I think in any season of the last five, besides last season and this season, any one of those four guys would run away with this MVP trophy. But we're discussing the Rockets, so we should talk about James Harden's case. And I personally would vote for James Harden to win the MVP if the season ended right now. And the reason for that is despite the fact that Russell Westbrook is averaging a triple-double, which is absurd, and Kawhi Leonard is leading the San Antonio Spurs to barely second place behind the Golden State Warriors without a single other all-star besides him, and the fact that LeBron James is LeBron James and continues to be LeBron James. (laughs) Prior to this season, the over-under win total for the Houston Rockets was below that of the Oklahoma City Thunder. And now that the Rockets are winning a ton of games and playing as well as they are, the argument is, oh, but Russell Westbrook doesn't have anywhere near as good of a supporting cast as James Harden does. And that argument really irritates me because I just watched the Thunder play the Sacramento Kings and Russell Westbrook's supporting cast is not loaded with elite offensive players, but it is loaded with elite defensive players. So Russell's offensive statistics look incredible because he's their first, second, and third best offensive option. But the Thunder don't have scrubs surrounding him. They just have a bunch of guys who aren't as good at scoring the ball, but are elite at shutting down the opposing team. So I think it's honestly pretty close to a wash in terms of Harden's supporting cast versus Westbrook's supporting cast. And when you look at their offensive numbers, Harden has a 33.9% usage rate, a 50.9% assist percentage, and a 62% true shooting percentage. Oh my god. Westbrook's true shooting percentage is 54.7. He's just nowhere near as efficient on the offensive end as Harden is. And Harden's pretty close to averaging a triple-double himself. He just doesn't have the rebounding off of free throw numbers that Russell Westbrook has that really sort of boost those rebounding numbers. And the Rockets' offense has been just remarkable. And you can tie pretty much all of it back to James Harden's ability to get to the rim, basically at will, draw fouls better than anyone else in the league, and make a lot of three-pointers and pass out to a lot of open three-point shooters around him. So I think just because Harden is the alpha and the omega of this Rockets offense, and their team has so much of a better record than the Thunder, despite, in my opinion, relatively equal supporting casts, I think I would have to go with Harden for MVP. And I'll try and argue the case for him over Kawhi and LeBron later, but in terms of public perception, I think the big debate is Harden or Westbrook. Yeah. And the Westbrook supporting cast sucks argument annoys me enough that I just went on this three-minute rant about it. But what are your thoughts on the MVP race? And by the way, thank you for going on that three-minute rant because I totally agree with you. Just in terms of Harden versus Westbrook, I would go with Harden also. Harden was my preseason MVP pick. You and I did a were on my podcast and we were picking preseason MVPs and I was so I was really high on the Rockets that I took the plunge and took James Harden as my preseason MVP pick. I would say he's reached the LeBron plane not that they're at the same level but that plane of just passing and he could see the defense rotations two steps ahead So, like if he sets a screen and then he flicks it to the other side of the court to an open three point shooter. If he even sees the weak side defender even take a step in to try to go towards his direction. He just commands so much 
much. And like you said, the Thunder, they have elite defensive players. And it's not like Oladipo is a scrub or Steven Adams is a scrub. It's just the teams, yeah, they're built differently, but Harden spoon feeds shooters through use of his vision and his just great anticipation of what the defense is going to do next. Russell Westbrook, while he is an underrated passer, some of his assists come through just sheer force of I'm Russell Westbrook and I'm going to battery ram my way to the rim and three guys are going to collapse on me and by byproduct teammates are going to be open and that's not to take anything away from Russell Westbrook but James Harden has just been so efficient at everything else he's super crappy at getting to the basket and really if you compare their defense I mean <laughs> it's it's really negligible and the perception on Russell Westbrook's defense is sometimes not laughable but puzzling to me but I totally agree with you in terms of where Westbrook would be on my theoretical MVP rankings really quickly he would be I guess third or fourth but you, I would definitely I would think I would definitely take Harden over Westbrook now I've been flip-flopping over the last few weeks between Harden Kawhi and LeBron and I know my friends who are LeBron haters that I grew up with are listening to this podcast right now look at LeBron's on and off court numbers stop it it doesn't matter if he has Kyrie Irving or Kevin Love the on and off court numbers with LeBron are ridiculous the Cavs are awful when he's off the court anyway James Harden LeBron and Kawhi I've just been circling through those two and I'm so glad Kawhi's defensive that game winning three and defensive sequence on James Harden finally put the spotlight on him and even with me who I, I watch a lot of basketball I started to realize wow Kawhi I, even I started to underrate what Kawhi d- has been doing this season he's been a monster and honestly it's every hour I flip flop between these guys and Harden was my MVP pick it's not it's not like one of those things where I'm gonna stubbornly stick with my preseason MVP pick I am honestly like you said I would not be upset at all if Westbrook won it well out of the four I'd probably would maybe question a little bit with Westbrook but Westbrook would totally deserve it Harden would totally deserve it Kawhi LeBron this is just such a insane run for the MVP race it reminds me a lot of the 2011 MVP race between when Derek Rose Dwight and LeBron and it's just it's an insane MVP race and honestly I might have to wait till the last week of the season to cement one it's not like I have a vote or anything so I guess <laughs> theoretically none of this matters but if you're asking me to pick an MVP right now I honestly have to wait to the last week of the season but Harden I'd still have to have him if you made me do a power ranking right now I probably have Harden slightly ahead of Kawhi I don't know what do you think so first of all I'm really glad that you brought up that you won't be able to decide on these until the last week of the season because we will be recording our awards pod during the last week of the season but I'm also really glad that you brought up those on-off numbers because for me I think LeBron is in second place and it's because of those on-off numbers. So just a quick rundown on those. The Rockets are plus 6.1 with Harden on the floor and plus 1.2 with him off the floor. The Thunder are plus 3.5 with Russell Westbrook on the floor and minus 2.8 with him off. The Cavs are plus 7.4 with LeBron on and minus 2.3 off. And the Spurs are plus 6.4 with Kawhi on the floor and plus 2.3 with him off the floor. So in terms of those numbers, just digging into those a little bit, the main reason 
reason that the difference between Kawhi's numbers isn't of the same magnitude as the other three guys is because the Spurs have an excellent bench. Yes. And even though there isn't another all-star besides Kawhi Leonard, and LaMarcus Aldridge, I think, is pretty close to that all-star discussion anyway, they're able to be effective without Kawhi on the floor because their bench is just so much better than any other bench in the league. Now, the thing with Harden's on-off numbers, I think those are also misleading in the sense that I don't think they really capture the full extent of Harden's efficacy, because when you're talking about James Harden versus LeBron James in terms of those numbers, LeBron James is being backed up by Richard Jefferson and Iman Shumpert. James Harden is being backed up by Eric Gordon and Lou Williams. So the team is able to play decently well without Harden on the floor, and that's not because Harden isn't an incredibly important player to their team's success, but because his backups are really, really good. And even though the Cavs completely collapse without LeBron on the floor, and that can't be entirely attributed to his backups, I think a lot of the difference between Harden's on-off numbers and LeBron's on-off numbers are due to the fact that LeBron's backups are a lot worse than James Harden's backups. And if you think that's a problem for LeBron, think about how that is for Russell Westbrook. <laughs> his backup point guard is... Samaje Kristen. Oh my god, he is one of the worst field goal percentages in the history of basketball. I saw that stat the other day. So if you're going to talk about those on-off numbers, they do really paint a rosy picture of LeBron, and they paint a pretty decent picture of Russell Westbrook, and not as great of a picture for Harden, but when you're looking at those numbers, you have to consider the guys that are backing them up. Right, and I mean, just I just, I just want to say, just take James Harden off that team for like a month and see how Houston does. He really is like the maestro of that offense, and they while they do have good backups that will sus- that could theoretically sustain a long knock on wood. Don't want to hope for injury, but if he did get injured and Lou Williams and Eric Gordon had to carry the load, they could maybe do it for a few games. But when you lose such a main factor of your offense, and Bill Simmons brought up this good point on the Low Post yesterday, which by the way, it is great to have see those two podcasting together this week. <laughs> it was like Christmas for me, but at some point while advanced stats are great and stuff the eye test also has to matter and you could just tell that Harden is just he is just so important to this Rockets team because he easily finds shooters the big men aren't as effective if Harden isn't running the pick and roll and while Lou Williams and Eric Gordon are good guards they're not James Harden I mean I just I don't know how else to explain it he's just an incredibly important he is the guy he has the ball in his hands 95% of the time during these games and that's that's just one of those cases where on and off court numbers while I like those numbers sometimes there can be noise in those numbers like you were mentioning earlier it's just Harden's been fantastic this year but I have to wait till the end of the season this is this has been a really good season I've been pleased with this season there's a narrative before the season started that it wouldn't be exciting or interesting there's been like 15 different storylines this year that have been made this season incredible and the Kevin Durant and Kevin Love injuries have really destroyed the preseason narrative of it's just a waiting game until we get a third Cavs-Warriors finals. And especially given that the Wizards have been really surprising since their 2-8 and eight start, actually better than the Cavs since that 2-8 and eight start, and the Spurs are right behind the Warriors in terms of leading the conference, and the Rockets are playing so well, I think it's entirely possible that we don't get a Cavs-Warriors final. And speaking of which, let's move on to the best and worst game 
games for the Rockets this season. And I wanted to start with Houston's win over the Warriors in Oakland on December 1st. Double overtime. Incredible double overtime game. And the reason that I want to start with that particular game is because I think that really showed the blueprint for how the Rockets could upset the Warriors in the playoffs. The Rockets put up 44 threes. They only made 14 of them, which is not all that great. 31.8% from D. But, you know, that game showed how the Rockets can potentially beat the Warriors in the playoffs and make it to the finals, which is they know that they're not going to stop the Warriors, and the Warriors know that they're not going to stop Houston. But at the end of the day, the Rockets can put Patrick Beverly on Steph Curry. They can put Trevor Ariza on Kevin Durant. They can put Clint Capella on Draymond Green and basically just dare Clay Thompson to get hot enough to outshoot a Rockets team that, as you discussed earlier, and I think that's exactly the right point, they can make themselves a factor in basically any game just through the incredible variance that their three-point shooting allows. Right. And, I mean, referencing back to the 14-15 Western Conference Finals, Harden was incredible. Nobody could stop him. As good of a defender as Clay Thompson is, and I know that the defensive plus minus box stat or whatever isn't going to paint him as such a good defender, even though I think that's, I totally disagree with that. He just doesn't rebound and gamble for steals. That's why his numbers don't look like that. Clay Thompson and uh, Iguodala tried their best to guard Harden in that series, and he still just cooked them. And that's the thing with the Warriors, or with the Warriors, right? They have this great offense. They play at this incredible pace, but they are going against a guy who plays at a great pace himself, and they can't, no matter how Iguodala, good defender, Clay Thompson, good defender, Kevin Durant has been an incredible defender this year. Draymond Green, probably one of the smartest defenders I've ever seen. You cannot stop James Harden. He's going to get to the foul line. He's going to do his crafty left-handed between-the-leg crossovers. He's going to find shooters because now he has incredible elite vision that's on par with those guys, LeBron, Chris Paul, that we talked about earlier. He's just been an all-around nuclear weapon on offense, and the Rockets have typically have not been a good matchup. Now, good matchup is relative for the Warriors because they have won those games, and they did win that Western Conference Finals, but they showed that they cannot guard James Harden, and who can, by the way? <laughs> but with that, and coupled with, like we mentioned earlier, the variance of the three-point shot, there's going to be at least, if they face the Warriors, there's going to be probably three or four games where they attempt 65-plus three-point attempts in a game. And if you make... 15 to 20 of those threes, you're giving yourself a shot against the Warriors, especially given the pace that they play at. And that double overtime game was a great example of it. They can't they can't stop Harden, and they have Patrick Beverly, who can be a pest to Steph Curry, and we saw in the playoffs a little bit that when the playoffs are more physical, the refs let all the grabbing and the chipping and the elbowing off of screens that Steph and Clay run off of off the ball, they let that slide a little bit. And so that kind of plays into Patrick Beverly's favor. You got Ariza, Capella. So the Rockets can compete with the Warriors more than a lot of people think. And just to play devil's advocate on your you can't shut Harden down point from earlier, let's just say that the Warriors decide that their entire defensive focus is we're not going to let James Harden beat us. Unlike last season, the Rockets have other guys that can beat you right. if you just decide we're going to shut down James Harden. Because if you put James Harden out there with Ryan Anderson, Trevor Ariza, and one of Eric Gordon or Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly, all of those guys can shoot threes. And all of those guys besides Beverly are elite, elite three-point shooters 
Rangers. And even if you do manage to wall Harden off and prevent him from getting 30, 40 points, he's just going to get 20 assists and kick out to three-point shooters all day long. And unlike in previous seasons, the Rockets have enough shooting around Harden that they can get by even if he doesn't have the greatest scoring game. So moving on to the other great game from the Rockets that I wanted to discuss, their win against the Cleveland Cavaliers, making them one of the few teams this season to have beaten both teams. And the Sacramento Kings are one of those teams, you know, just little little plug for them as they <laughs> as they crawl their way to the end of the season. But I think the biggest factor in this game is that Trevor Ariza did a fantastic job on LeBron James. And even though LeBron defended Ariza pretty well, Trevor only shot 30%, 3 of 10 from the floor. LeBron turned the ball over eight times in this game. And given that it was only a five-point margin, I think that really did make the difference. And on the other end, James Harden, who's currently leading the league in turnovers, only turned the ball over four times. And the Rockets as a whole turned the ball over six times in total. And when you're talking about that big of a turnover margin from two really, really elite teams, I mean, that's another example of how the Rockets can surprise teams during the postseason is if they can goad the other team into giving up transition opportunities. Because when the Rockets get in transition, there are open three-point shooters running behind the arc on all sides, and there's really not much you can do to stop them. And also, if the Rockets attack the glass like they did against the Cavs that game, then that's also another way the Rockets can compete with these teams. They got they grabbed 20 offensive rebounds against the Cleveland Cavaliers, which is just it's incredible. And in total, they out-rebounded them 52-38. to That was a great win for the Rockets. Granted, at that point, the Cavs did not have Kevin Love, but he's been back the last two days. The Cavs didn't have Kevin Love on that Sunday game. But yeah, no, the Rockets, they, they've shown all year, like you said, that they can compete with the very best teams. And when they started going on their run, then reminder, they kind of cooled off a little bit right around the All-Star break. They've started cooling off a little bit, but when they got off to that hot start, I know people were questioning, well, is this a fluke or, you you know, you're shooting too many threes, blah, blah, blah. The Rockets have shown all year that they can compete with those teams. Yeah, they've had some bad losses against the Timberwolves. They lost to the Pacers weirdly twice, but the Rockets can compete with any team given the variance of their offense. And also they just have one of the three best players in the world right now in James Harden. And yes, I, I have him in my top three personally. I don't know about other people, but usually that's a good recipe for having a good record, it seems. So we will talk about that Timberwolves game that you brought up in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about their opening night loss to the Lakers. And I think this one is pretty self-explanatory in terms of bad games, because if you are the Houston Rockets and you have the third best record in basketball, you just shouldn't be losing to the Lakers at all, even if it's in Staples Center, even if it's before the Lakers really started to fall off a cliff. And they allowed the Lakers to shoot 50.6% from the floor and score 120 points in regulation. And I think this is a really representative case for 
the worst case scenario for the Rockets, which is they just can't defend well enough to prevent the other team from outscoring even their ridiculous offense. And the Rockets scored 114 points in this game. And usually when you score 114 points, you're not going to lose. But they allowed a Lakers team that's been bottom of the barrel all season to put up 120 on them. And especially as the season winds down, that just can't happen if you're in the realm of great basketball that the Rockets are and have been for for most of the season. Yeah, and also in that game, Patrick Beverly missed the first 12 games, I believe. Beverly missed the first 11 games of the season, and the Rockets went 6-5. and five. So yeah. again, you know, points to how useful Beverly is as a defensive stalwart. D'Angelo Russell had 20 points, and Jordan Clarkson also had 25 points. And Eric Gordon was starting, so that kind of thinned out the bench a little bit. I mean, Corey Brewer got minutes, and ironically, <laughs> Corey Brewer is now in the Lakers. But um, yeah, look, it, we all know three-fifths of the Rockets starting lineup is good, or on defense at least. The question is, well, one, can the lineup stay intact? A big question, but will having good defensive wings, but middle-of-the-road defensive team, will that work in the playoffs? That's one of those questions that obviously remains to be seen, but Patrick Beverly is such an important, he's such an important player for the Rockets for all the reasons that we talked about earlier. He is the carbon copy guard that you want next to a ball-dominant two guard like James Harden, someone who doesn't need the ball, someone who's willing to do all the dirty work, rebound above average for his position, pick up 94 feet, just in general get under the guy skin. To me, that game right there just illustrates the importance of Patrick Beverly because once he isn't there, that means the majority of your starting lineup just isn't good on defense. It also messes up the rotations that Mike D'Antoni has set. So we talked about how this game was an unfortunate poor defensive show for the Rockets, but really I think this game sort of encapsulates all of the big issues that the Rockets might face. They shot 7 of 29 from three-point range when that's really been the driving force of their offense all season, and James Harden turned the ball over seven times. And when James Harden is at his best, he's, you know, turning the ball over a lot because the ball's in his hands all the time. But there's a big difference between four turnovers, like in that Cavs game, especially since the rest of the team had two, and seven turnovers which really turnovers generate transition opportunities, which are by far the most efficient offensive opportunities there are. And it allows teams that maybe aren't as good as you on offense, or even teams that are as good as you on offense, which is exactly one team, the Golden State Warriors. If you allow your opponents to get out in transition off of those turnovers, they can really put up points quickly. And defending is something the Rockets will struggle with anyway in the postseason. And one of the more fun statistics from this game, Tyler Ennis played 12 minutes and had four turnovers. <laughs> that is remarkable. And that also speaks to how important Beverly is to this team, because when Beverly is on the team, Tyler Ennis is not going to play. And, you know, now Tyler Ennis has also been traded to the Lakers. But, you know, you can't have that kind of backup guard play and be successful. And now, instead of having Eric Gordon in the starting lineup and basically no guards behind them, you have Patrick Beverly and James Harden in the starting lineup and both Gordon and Lou Williams coming off the bench. It's safe to say that Lou Williams is a better backup <laughs> for Beverly. 
Patrick Beverly. <laughs> yeah, that seems fair. Moving on to the other game that I wanted to discuss, and you brought this up earlier. They lost to the Timberwolves on January 11th. Final score was 119 to 105, and the Timberwolves were 13 and 26 after this win. So that tells you how they'd been playing leading into this game. And James Harden scored 33 points and had 12 assists. He did turn the ball over six times. But what stood out to me from this game is that really no one else was effective on the offensive end besides Harden. Trevor Ariza was decent, six for 13 from the floor, three of seven from deep. Ryan Anderson did score 18 points, but he had to take 16 shots to get there. And he was five of 14 from behind the arc and the rest of the team just really wasn't effective on the offensive end Patrick Beverly was 0 of 5 Sam Decker was 3 of 9 off the bench Corey Brewer got minutes which you know is basically throwing up the white flag Corey Brewer got 27 minutes which is almost the definition of throwing up the white flag (laughs) Carl Anthony Towns had 23 points and 18 rebounds and this goes back to why I think Montrez Harrell might not get major minutes in the playoffs Harrell had five rebounds and Carl Anthony Towns had 18 and when you're putting a guy who's generously listed at 6'8 in as your starting center that kind of thing is going to happen especially when you've got a dominant big man on the other end and the other problem was Trevor Ariza had a decent offensive game but he also just basically did the sliding door on defense against Andrew Wiggins who put up 28 points on 20 shots shot 55% from the field 50% from beyond the arc and Ricky Rubio also had 17 assists in this game so really what that indicates to me is that the Rockets just were not tracking the Wolves well enough on defense they shouldn't be losing games to the Timberwolves either you know maybe the Timberwolves are a lot better than the Lakers but you shouldn't be allowing 119 points to any non-playoff team if you're the Rockets yeah and by the way side note Carl Anthony Towns has been ridiculous (laughs) the last two months that's beside the point this game Eric Gordon wasn't playing and they did not have Lou Williams at that point so there really wasn't any good guards coming off the bench like you mentioned earlier (laughs) Corey Brewer wow got 27 minutes in that game and Clint Capella was hurt also he had that fracture in his uh, I believe it was his right leg so he didn't play at all so that was a big factor in Carl Anthony Towns just going insane beast mode on the Rockets but yeah no the Rockets (laughs) we like I mentioned earlier the Rockets have definitely had some puzzling losses and I mean the Timberwolves at that point in the season they were not a good team and they were particularly not a good defensive team the Rockets got a lot of attempts up but they only ended up scoring 105 points it was just their efficiency on offense that was key and (laughs) when you lose you know Clint Capella who is a really solid defensive center for the Rockets and you put Montrez Harrell in there against Carl Anthony Towns I mean (laughs) you can only imagine what's going to happen and it happened to the tune of what 20 23 and 18 and five assists by the way but no the Rockets have definitely had some puzzling losses this year but I think that particularly was just the rigors of the NBA season and injuries because both Gordon and Capella their key players were not there in that game to be fair though the Wolves were also without Zach Levine who was a key offensive piece for them throughout the season but without Zach Levine in the game the Timberwolves had a true shooting percentage for the game of 64.7% and And the Rockets had a true shooting percentage of 54.3%. So really what happened was the Rockets were not as efficient as they usually are on the offensive end and allowed the Timberwolves basically
basically just to score at will. Right. All right. Anything else you want to cover before we wrap up here? No, I think that's it. This season has been incredible. I can't wait to do our awards pod, by the way. I think that's going to be a really fun one, especially when we get to a particular award that I might be really vested in as a Sixer fan. But um, that should be really fun. The MVP race is just, it's near impossible at this point to pinpoint an MVP. Zach Lowe brought up a good point. At this point in the season, it is impossible for somebody to be like, well, this is the MVP, and if you don't agree, you're an idiot. No, there is four legitimate MVP candidates, and it's this this season has been fun, and I cannot wait to see how the MVP race plays out, because I really can't decide. I flip-flop every hour. Well, luckily we have more hours to go before the awards pod. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. You can find Jordan on Twitter at SportsTalkXmas, S-P-O-R-T-S-T-A-L-K-X-M-A-S. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A Johnson, N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. Got rid of the underscore for anyone who's been listening to some of the earlier episodes of the podcast. If you've been enjoying the pod, please leave a rating or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. Please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter if you have any questions or feedback, positive or negative. I'd love to hear from you. You can find both of our work on the hashtag basketball website, hashtag basketball.com. And thanks so much for listening.